0: you're listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome everybody into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Philip Russell and my brother Ryan Shutt. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this Tuesday afternoon or evening as some people may call it?
1: I was going to say it's it's late evening here, but doing good, man. It's good to be back with you guys after some technical issues last week while i was on the road i missed i missed getting to chat with you boys
2: i thought about getting a dnp nwt like jay crowder which is a did not play not with team tonight but (laughs) i decided last minute that i would show up and do my job so here i am (laughs) wow it took us
0: how many how many seconds (laughs) for for jay crowder slander to to be uttered but Oh, goodness. Well, I'm glad the gang is back together. Ryan, I'm glad you survived uh, being stuck in Texas and also want to open by saying our thoughts are with all the folks in Florida who have been affected by the hurricane. We, being Philip and myself, kind of got to watch it happen firsthand through our friends and loved ones down in the Tampa area. Ryan avoided it uh, getting stuck in Texas, but obviously getting back home to, to everything there. So, Wanted to keep those folks in mind uh, just since we didn't get to touch on that as that was kind of upcoming the last time we talked. But gentlemen, we are getting closer and closer to real Phoenix Suns basketball. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, but but Ethan, I watched the Suns play basketball on the television and it looked pretty real to me. Now, folks, I want to go ahead and say a couple things. Did that game happen? Yes, it did. Will we overreact? No. No we will. Not. Us? We won't. We will not.
3: <laughs> but I'm just,
0: some people. I'm just publicly stating our general opinion. Now here is my question. I think it's very easy to overreact to the game. And the game for those who may not have been able to catch up. Uh, the Suns lost 124 134 to the Adelaide 36ers which is a really cool name. It was the first time an NBA team has lost to an international club team uh, in a handful of years. I think the Mavs or Thunder, someone did it uh, a handful of years ago. The NBA and basketball world seem to be having a field day with this. So here's my question. It's very obvious you can overreact. Is it possible to underreact?
3: That's a great question. Thank you. I thought um, about it
0: on the toilet earlier. I was like, can I underreact to this? And I know my answer. I,
3: I think yes. I mean, if you act like
1: it's completely frivolous and there's nothing to it, then maybe that by nature is is underreacting. But we also usually give grace, usually for the first month of the season, right? When When we talk about the Suns, we usually talk about how those first few games really – don't mean much. So this game, by nature, means significantly less. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a a way to underreact to a game that is purely meaningless.
2: I think the only way to underreact if is if you stand a mid or bad player, and you're really holding on to that even after the game. If you're sitting there going, you know, CP3 is going to take more of a backseat and campaign. He's going to take us to the promised land. Maybe you should watch that game a little more carefully. Campaign had some moments, but the offense doesn't work as well when he's running. Point. Or even more, if you're like, you know what? We might have lost JaVale McGee, but Bismack Biambo? Dope center. Great name. High energy. Maybe go back and watch the game, and let's see if we're going to miss JaVale McGee a little bit. Hey,
1: Bismack's three minutes and 26 seconds of playing time told me all I needed to know, okay?
0: here here's my observations from the game and it's less on court more Suns fandom and again we we try to tread lightly we know that some folks you know maybe they got into podcasting because they were inspired by the works of uh skip bayless and uh Max Kellerman and other people on sports media that love to scream opinions because, you know, what else do people want to listen to? That ain't us. Hasn't been. Probably won't be. But what I watched on my phone during that game was if there was any way that a Suns fan could make some point about some player they felt strongly about, like you said, Philip, they were going to find a way. Like, it didn't. It didn't matter. If you wanted to say that Ayton was going to come out in Shaquille O'Neal this season, you were like, proof's in the pudding, baby. Look what he did. That's aggressive. That, do, you, do you see him? Do you see him rolling quicker, slashing through the lane? That's an aggressive man. Awesome. I'm glad you saw that. If you think Chris Paul is old, I saw someone talk about his weight and that he looked a little bigger. Brother is vegan. Do you know how many salads you have to be pounding to bulk <laughs> up? You can't. Right, Devin Booker. Oh, he just doesn't. He just doesn't care, man. He's got his bag. Whatever. Uh, A whole lot of crap thrown at poor Landry Shamit, as if he was supposed to come out here as the second coming of Devin Booker. Not sure what you expected there. And then once again, like you can go down the list. Like oh, Mikhail offensively, this is the leap. This is the year, boys. Twenty-two points a game. Like every take that someone could have wanted to have. They somehow found evidence. But here's my thing. If someone was saying, I think the Suns are going to suck this year, they also have evidence there. So like, what what do you want to do? That's my question to you fans and listeners. Do you want to care about this game or do you not? If you don't care, which is the one that I'm going to suggest is the better option, you get to move on to the next game, which I believe is a preseason game against the Lakers. And we can watch Suns basketball once again, see what we learn. If you want to care, you have to deal with the problems that come from that game. And I personally do not want to. So that's that's my take. I know that folks were having a whole lot of fun talking about this game. Was there anything you all did see that you think is going to have some some implication on the season, whether that is new sets being run uh You know, different people handling the ball. The only only one I had just for for kind of my reference was I immediately saw one benefit of Cam Johnson being in the starting lineup and getting more minutes and that he can start a fast break and he looks comfortable getting the rebound, kind of picking up the tempo, pushing that immediate break, something that Jay Crowder didn't often do. And that was one thing where I was like, all right, this is cool. I'm ex- I'm excited to see how this works, whether that is less Chris Paul having to instigate everything and start everything. So that was one small thing I saw. Anything that you all saw watching or watching the highlights of of this very unfortunate game?
1: I, I will just say credit where credit is due. I thought DA looked really nice offensively. Um, I thought he he was doing – all the things that we complimented him on last season, all the things he was adding to his bag, those turnaround jumpers, the way he was attacking the rim. Uh, there were several drives where where he would be trailing Chris Paul. He would dump it off and had several nice dunks. Uh, so for, for a meaningless game, as we have all kind of dubbed this, uh, I was really impressed to see D.A. from the start uh, really pick up where he left off last season offensively, shooting 11-14 from the floor being really efficient there. And I just, I was, I was impressed by him. And I mean, we, we know exactly who this team is. If you look at the, the box score, our starting five played the exact amount of time down to the second. Monty was very clear who the five are. Uh, and, and I think it was cool to get to see them really play as the five moving forward. Cause on the pod, we've talked about this kind of being our five of the future um, with, with Cam Johnson being there in that starting role. Um, and I just think it was neat to kind of see that for the first time officially as, as a sign for the season to come.
0: I had to bite my tongue when you said D.A. picking up where he left, left off last season because I believe he left fair off enough. on the bench. Fair enough. Uh, but, I, uh, I'm talking I, big no, pitch, no, I'm just, I'm just fair messing. Enough. I, I totally agree. Philip, you see anything worth noting?
2: Yeah, so D.A.'s per 36 was basically 35-10. and 10. And then Mikhail's per 36 was 35 and 11, which that I'm kidding about that. We're not actually going to take that away. They, both of them played really well. And even, even in a visibly more relaxed environment, they both showed the kind of impact that they can have. I love the stretch where Mikhail got the block, ran in transition, stepped, dribbled into a wing three. That stuff's really good. That stuff's really good. So here's, here are my two takeaways. Number one, I know who receives the ire after a game like that. It is the bench. Now, here's the problem with freaking out about the bench after a game like that. Ryan already mentioned it. The starters played together the entire time. This isn't 2014-2015 Kentucky. They're not going to play a platoon system. They're not going to play the starters for six minutes and then bring in a bench unit for six minutes. It just doesn't happen in the NBA. An all second unit lineup doesn't, shouldn't, and will not get significant minutes, usually without two starters or main rotation players in with them. It's just not going to happen. So a guy like Damian Lee is going to look, I can guarantee you this, he is going to look so much better if he's out there with the Devin Booker and Chris Paul, then being out there with the campaign and Landry Shaman. There were a couple of plays, especially defensively, if you watch closely, you go, Damian Lee's a good player, but then you look at his box score and he's one of three and he's a minus 21. Let him get some run with the main players and that will be different. And I think a lot of that second unit could say the same thing. Now, the one thing that might be prescient from that game that might project out into the future a little bit is three point disparity. That's something. And I know the 36ers were on fire throughout the game, but if there's something that has felt uncomfortable about the suns stylistically, the last few years it has been the consistent three point disparity. And you're looking for the suns to keep that as close as possible because of how they play, they're probably always going to be close or losing the three point contest, but you want them, you want them to hold it a little bit tighter than they did against the guys from down under. Yeah.
0: And in terms of numbers for those listening, uh, the 36ers, which always sounds funny out loud shot 24 of 43 from three, which is 55.8%. And the sun's, uh, Not very similar to that, shot nine of thirty-four for twenty-six point five percent. Now, it is also worth noting, and I think I think we've all Brian opened it up and nailed it. Phillips continued. If you look at where the threes came from that were missed against the Suns, a lot of those are in that bench unit. And again, there's just no gravity. Like you put out five bench guys, no one is creating gravity at all. There's no space being created for someone else to operate. So not only do you have a bench unit of 5 out there they're having to really rely on either perfectly running sets which even perfectly run sets don't get you great looks every time or being able to take someone on one on one and i think it's been it's been discussed probably overblown sorry to our australian fans of you know australian basketball League of the future, whatever you want to say, like uh, they had some talented guys, and some of those guys are now reportedly getting looks from BA teams, which is awesome. Good shout out Craig Randall
1: II. Like
0: that's awesome. They had they had two guys drop thirty. They had a thirty-five and a thirty-two point score, right? Like it would be interesting. I don't care enough to do it, but when you look at their starters and they have four starters at thirty minutes or above, that means that their starters were playing against our. Bench group of five a lot. It makes sense. I also understand why people feel compelled to make strong takes, throw out all the stuff they're thinking, and that's totally fine. That said, one thing that we are wanting to do as we prepare for the season to start, the actual season, games that count, is take the time to look through the Suns roster, how they're currently constructed, which who knows what it's going to look like in a couple weeks. And assess where they're at the way we determined this uh and a part of it is listener value to be quite honest, is by kind of position groups we're going to talk about the guards, and then next time we're going to talk about the wings and the bigs. We could have talked starters today, but I don't know who would be tuning in for our bench episode next week, so this way we break it up, hopefully we keep things interesting so with that in mind, gentlemen, we have the state of the team the sun's guards we have in terms of our guards the ones we're going to talk about are those that we expect to get serious minutes and philip who will we be discussing today so we're going to talk about devin booker
2: landry shamit chris paul and cameron payne now we know that there are a couple guys on the Suns who have signed two-way deals and who have signed training roster deals. We're not interested in talking about those guys. When we're talking about the Suns guards, we're going to mainly talk about these four, and then maybe the noticeable omission would be Josh Okogie. We're going to talk about him with the rest of the wings because we think that's where he's going to fit in. So with that said,
0: I think it makes the most sense to start with, funny, we could go by age, uh, but let's start with the two guys that we expect to see on the court the most, and let's go ahead and kick it off with Chris Paul. Philip. Chris Paul going into this season, what are your thoughts? What are your concerns? What are you looking for? Uh, we'll keep this pretty open forum in terms of, of opinions here, uh, but you can
2: kick us off. The thing I'm most excited about CP3 is him taking a lesser role. And that sounds, um, that might sound cruel or insulting to him, but I think it's time for two reasons. Number one, he's old. He should be taking lesser roles. I said it, I think I said this at the beginning of the season last year, and I'm going to re-up it again because it didn't happen. Chris Paul should not should not play more than 30 minutes a game. If he's playing more than 30 minutes a game, something went wrong on the Suns. Last season, he played basically 33 minutes a game. It's just too much. much. Bring that man back down to below 30 minutes, and then we might be saying, but doesn't that leave a heavier burden on campaign and Landry Shaman? Not necessarily, because if you stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker well, what I want to see, and the reason I'm excited for Chris Paul to take lesser role, is because I am all about, for this season, putting a heavier playmaking and offense-starting load on Devin Booker.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and I also think that's kind of two birds with one stone, in a sense, where not only are we thinking taking care of Chris Paul, the longevity of the season, I also think when you stagger them, just based on how we saw the rotations, it also allows Chris Paul to be out there with some of the guys that we would regard as bench guys who we may be more worried about. I don't think anyone questions Chris Paul's ability to create for others. I know we said, you know, the, the 36ers game didn't mean much. Chris Paul had 12 assists in 22 minutes. The dude, The dude can find areas on the court to set other people up. He's got that. We just have to get that to last. So I think you're right. I think staggering him will allow him not only to take care of himself, but also take care of the guys that maybe need the extra help. Do we think now this isn't a, do we wish or we're being optimistic? Do we think Chris Paul will take a lesser role? And do you think Monty Williams has proposed that to him? Because if you remember when he got wooed to the thunder Uh, The story got out later on about the entire presentation of this is how we're going to manage your minutes. This is how we're going to allow you to extend your career. And he basically replied with an F that I'm Chris Paul. I'm playing. And it got all this love and attention of like this guy. This guy's a grinder. This guy's doing everything for the ring, all that good stuff. And I get that. He's doing it for my team now, and I love it. But we saw what happened in the playoffs. And again, there could have been some COVID stuff. We don't know. But I think you have to take care of your long-term assets and make sure they're ready to go when it matters.
1: That's that's my one concern. I feel like he has to take that lesser role because his durability is continually being brought into question. It, it's no surprise to anybody to, to question, at this point, Chris Paul's durability to be able to make it healthy through a full season. He's He's been severely injured in playoffs numerous times and, and I think to the detriment of this team the way it's currently built we don't have the point guard of the future on the team right you I don't have, you don't have build... the
0: luxury of him missing any time
1: right and, and if you've listened to our podcast with any regularity you all know I'm a big campaign guy I think he's a great team guy I think he's great for the team do I want our playoff chances and our title chances riding on campaign? no and and so yes i'd love to see point and book i think that'll be great especially if they're in that staggered offensive rhythm like philip was talking about but all that relies on chris paul being healthy enough to even do that and at, at his age he's he's got to consider that i think if he's not he's working to the detriment of the team long term and i think he's at a point in his career where he would recognize that i would hope i would hope
0: Philip, do you think you would recognize that?
2: I don't know, but at some point, it's the coach's responsibility, the training staff's responsibility to say, this is how it's going to be. There are, there are times with all great players where their mind thinks they can do what their body can't deliver. Now, I still think CP3 is going to be an effective Player this year, but his body is limited. His body has always been limited from some perspective because of his size, but now he's a smaller guard. He's not as quick as he was. He's significantly older. He has so much mileage on him. I think it's Monty and James Jones's responsibility to stand in his way of wanting to push himself as he has done in years past. But then even on top of that, reining in Chris Paul is going to unleash other players, I think, in ways that are more productive for the longevity of the Suns' core.
3: In
0: terms of, like you mentioned, he's still bringing a lot to the court. I think most of our conversation, maybe the the prism we're viewing this all through, is offensively. Are we worried about
2: his defense? Yes. Yes. Like, there's Absolutely. No- Here's yes. my thing. Here's my thing. Sorry for uh, taking over right there. You're good. I think there's a world where it is advantageous for the Suns to not have Chris Paul in the game down the stretch. Or if he is in the game, they go offense-defense. Oh, yep. I think that's a very real possibility. Now, you talk about a shot to your ego, a guy who has been a clutch time player his entire career, looking at him and going, I'm just going to throw out a name on the roster right now. We got to have Joshua Kogi in there on the defensive end. Like he has to be there and you have to be on the bench because what Chris Paul is going to know, if that is the case going into this season, is if Joshua Kogi comes in, and the Suns get a stop, you know what they're going to want to do a lot of times? Run. They're going to run it. They're going to run. There's no timeout, which means Chris Paul does not touch the floor again. Yes. So I think that's a very real possibility. But again, from an outsider's perspective, from someone who doesn't have to lace it up, it makes sense. And I don't think anybody will look at that as a slight against Chris Paul. Or if they do look at it as a slight against Chris Paul, they're ignorant.
1: (sighs) Part of me thinks about it too, in terms of like Chris Paul's legacy and the way they talk about him. If he takes a a step back in his role and wins a title, would people talk about that more than if he were to play full out his entire career and never win a ring? Like, which one would people remember more? They're going to remember that he won it, right? So like, to me, that, that ego, if he really wants to win that bad and is that kind of winner, you... I Again, we're not the ones lacing it up. I don't know what that mentality is like. You would think at some point he would say, for the ring, I'm doing this. I don't know. I,
0: I agree. And I also think it's interesting the type of players that James Jones brought in over the summer. They're a, it's a very specialized group where you can plug and play a one-for-one one amongst the starting five and say this one switch will make us significantly better on either offense or defense most of them i think seem to be defense i think a lot of the guys that we are building and i'm not talking cam and landry i'm talking about the guys after that that say this is my purpose it is a we bring them in because they are going to provide something that our typical starting five may be lacking i'm okay with that and i i agree i think and I hate that. I think there's going to be times and hopefully it happens during the regular season where it's late in the fourth. We're watching the sun starting five out there and Chris Paul is getting targeted repeatedly. And the conversation will have to be brought up of, is this sustainable? Now looking on the other side of the size spectrum, we've seen teams struggle with that with centers for years. This well, there are guy, there are franchise, there are max, they've got to be out there. And we have seen so many guys get absolutely abused because of that mindset. I'm hoping that won't happen with Chris defensively. In terms of his defensive rating, last year he was actually career average. I don't think it's gonna be the thing where you're like, ooh, Chris just sucks at defense now. No, it's just gonna be within the group who is the weak point.
2: And I think it's going to be easy to identify who it is. What you got, Philip? I want to pivot away from CP3 real quick and pick both of your brains about Devin Booker. He, here's what I'm saying. I'll summarize what I think about Chris Ball. He should take a lesser role, and I think that's good for guys like Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges long-term. But if the Suns are to be reasonably considered contenders this year, I think Devin Booker has to take
3: another leap. Yep. If you agree, how do you respond to that idea?
0: I mean, he needs to be handed the keys to the car. And right now him and Chris kind of have like a, like a ride share thing going on where they kind of take turns. Uh, I think defensively, I would be surprised if defensively he took a big step. I thought we just saw his big step last year. Mm -hmm. I think what you would ask for is just for a continued version of that. You're not the weak link. You're willing to, to body up. You're willing to say, I'm going to exert effort down here type of thing. I think he's got that offensively, he needs to take a step that moves him into the top seven players in the league. And right now, we had a whole episode about it. He's right in that 10 range. I think ESPN, CBS, everyone had him somewhere in the 9 to 12, 13-ish range. And that means you are taking that next step to where you are that dude. To where when it comes fourth quarter, there's not a question of who has the ball. There is only one answer, and it's Devin. And that means he needs to be delivering on that constantly, which I know this is a crazy, unfair thing to say, but that means you're not having off nights, right? Like how often do these superstars in the league, you check the box score and you're like, wow, they just really sucked tonight. That just doesn't happen that often. And you can't, you can't disappear. And I think that's more of Devin's issue. It's not a, a lack of trying and failing that he was like, well, he did everything he could, it just wasn't falling. It's a how did he disappear so much from the game plan that was obviously built for his success? So, But I, I agree. I think the way the guards are constructed currently, which should be our strong point, is not enough to win a title. So something has got to change.
3: And, and
1: I think Ethan touched on it too. I think it's the fourth quarter specifically where we're going to need to see that change. Because if you look at the way we always talk, especially like these last two playoff runs, I feel like everybody always talked about, I can't wait to see the way Chris Paul closes out this game. That was the conversation. I think that role specifically needs to get passed off to the book. In in that fourth quarter, is he going to be the one who puts the games away? Because again, if you're looking longevity, he's going to be the one on the floor. And if he can take that role specifically off of Chris Paul, I think it will be to the betterment of the team to go the distance.
2: So let's try to uh let's try to quantify it real quick. I, I was literally just thinking that. Last I, year, I'm gonna round one up. We're gonna say Devin scored twenty-seven a game. He had twenty-six point eight. So let's say he was twenty-seven five and I'm feeling generous today, so I'm gonna round his assist and say five. Twenty-seven five and five. In 34, 35 minutes per game. For us to look back at the end of the season and say Devin Booker took the leap that he needed to make, what would those stats need to say? Or could it be similar stats, but then his averages take a bump? I was going to say, so as you were kind of putting together
0: your point, I immediately was thinking, okay. Okay. I just had this rant about him taking a step up. What's what's that look like, Ethan? You need to be able to give proof. And I think I have my answer figured out. And it kind of came listening to Ryan talking about the differences in the fourth quarter. I think in the fourth quarter, you need that guy, whoever that guy is, needs to be able to score in every single facet possible. So that means attacking the rim, something that Chris cannot quite do, in, you know, traditional sense and getting to the free throw line. So for me, the number I'm looking for, for Devin Booker to take that next step is I want his free throw attempts per game to either be eight to nine. His career high is 7.3. That was in 2019. The first year he was an all-star the next year he was at 5.9 and last year he was at 5.3 knowing how well he shoots free throws. If you're telling me he's averaging another three a game, If that gets you to that eight mark, statistically speaking, he's he's scoring an extra two point nine points a game that alone could get you there, let alone physical demanding nature of uh, of what you're doing to the other team. Like, I think that could be it with the ball in his hand, instigating the offense, getting to the rim, which we talked about that three point disparity is huge free throw disparity was probably bigger between the Suns and the other teams. So could that be that thing that unlocks that next step? I don't know. I would be interested to look at like prime Kawhi or Paul George and see their free throw numbers. Obviously, it's kind of a joke with like Luka and Harden, but like those guys know how to get points.
1: My my thought was what metric do I look at? I went free throws. Booker averaged in the 2020-21 season 5.9 free throws a game. Luca averaged 7.6. So that's a pretty big difference on a, on a per game free throw per game. And so I don't think, I think a Luca is a fair comparison. Like, especially if we're talking about how does he make the jump to those top four or five players that there it
0: is, is the free throw. I don't, I don't think he's making the jump to top four. Or five. I, <laughs> st- I strategically said top seven. There's a couple untouchables that I would not throw Booker next to for his own sake.
1: <laughs> well, fair but the point stands i think i think you hit the nail on the head to meet the difference free throws
0: man and what here, a, hey what a good what a good headline ryan shut what devin booker needs to do to be a top four <laughs> player in the nba
2: that'll be <laughs> oh, yeah, Here's here's some food for thought for our listeners we're asking booker to do something that is immensely difficult break into not the upper echelon the top of the upper echelon of nba players averaging 27 5 and 5 over a season is a lebron james average season that's what i think lebron might be like 27 7 and 7 for his for his career but that's the kind of statistical output that we're talking about for devin booker last year phenomenal statistically phenomenal and then if you watch the games you know, Devin Booker was great last year, but because of where the Suns are at, because the offseason went the way it did, the almost sad position that Suns fans are in and that the Suns organization is in is looking at Booker and saying, Hey, man, as the superstar, you just have to be a little bit better. And again, That's what we want to happen, but I also think we're going to go into the season with realistic expectations and say, again, it's almost an unfair ask, but heavy is the head that wears the crown, and he is that dude on the Phoenix Suns.
0: And there's really no way, in my opinion, there's no way they win the championship with the team they have right now
2: if no one makes a, a sizable jump from last year. In my opinion, there's no way they get out of the second round of the playoffs. Right. Unless they they have
0: lost. They have lost one of their most valuable pieces. I know people can, can joke about Jay. They have lost as of right now, a a big asset and have got nothing in return at all. Watch his hype video. He is bringing it. guys. (laughs) Sorry. Had to. Uh, Ray
1: Lewis really got me inspired in that video. like
0: What? I don't I don't know what they're going to get. I'm curious if I am the Suns, if I am the James Jones here, if you're saying, hey, we're sending out Jay Crowder, we're looking for a trade package. Before we move into Landry and Cam, do you think the focus is finding a guard to get in return? Yes.
2: And it's that's, gotta be. that's the transition into talking about Landry and Cam because wing-wise, Mikael, great cam johnson i think he's going to be great this year having specialists like josh okogie and damian lee who will who will fit in ish is going to get some minutes on the wing too hopefully he earned it i think he earned it in the last season can shoot well enough to do that right so what is it that's actually lacking on the phoenix suns i think it's going to be backup guards because all right let's do this ryan we'll kick it over to you Talk to us about the best case scenario for campaign this season. Serviceable backup.
3: I think that's best, best case scenario. I don't think he's going to be a game changer. I
1: think he's going to come somebody who comes in, hopefully stays around a neutral plus minus and, and is somebody who, when he comes in, you can just trust to run the offense, not make mistakes and, 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 move the ball around i don't think he's going to be somebody who comes in and takes over we saw that one bubble game where he just completely popped off we haven't really seen that since i think he's a fine player i think he's a good team guy any expectation above serviceable backup is is an overreaction to who he is as a player
0: may i may i say the 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 one thing that he needs to fix just there's one thing can i guess go for it make shots yep Campaign in his three years in Phoenix, his first year he played eight games as Ryan, uh the the bubble, if you will. He did great, and he shot forty eight percent from the field. And you were like, "Wow, that's great!" And then next the next year, the finals run, he shot forty eight percent from the field. And you're like, "Wow, this is consistent. This isn't a flash in the pan. What's going to happen?" Now you fast forward to last oh, season, man. he played mm-hmm. the same amount of games four extra minutes, average an extra two points. Good for him. He shot 40.9% from the field. That is bad, <laughs> like bad, bad. And in the type of shots he's taking, it's not like he's taking a lot of contested mid range shots. He's either shooting threes that are usually traditionally pretty open or he's shooting right at the rim. Now, a lot of the times because of how he operates, they're very contested shots. He's got his scoop, he's got his reverse, he's got his whatever, but 40% is not playable in my humblest of opinions. If your backup point guard is coming out and shooting with any semblance of volume, you're not shooting 40%. How does he fix this is my question to you all. Is it a mental thing? Is it a style of play thing? What what needs to happen? because campaign went from the in some people's mind front runner to take the mantle and take this young core as Chris Paul ages to like oh crap what happens
3: if we have to start him in a game I um, wish that I had silence an is
0: very loud
3: yeah I, I is be better
0: just like is is that an answer Don't, just is it is it just is it a him thing is it just him or was yes, were I think, there other I think,
1: things? I think the finals run season in the bubble proofs it was a him thing because not much changed between the finals run and last season.
3: I think it's a him thing, but I don't think there's any one thing you can point to to be like, if this changed, he becomes a better
1: scorer. I, so, I just don't see that happening. Here,
0: here's my follow-up, Philip, before I let you go. One interesting number, if you're looking for like, okay, what changed? There is one clear stat that changed. And that was, which sounds like, it was his volume. He he shot an extra four shots a game between that previous season and then last year. He shot, which was great, the 48% on about six shots a game. Last year, he was shooting 10 a game and making about 4.1 of those 10.1. Is it just, hey, he's good in his small, like crazy energy off the bench? Come do your thing real quick. And then, like, all right, let, let's go. Like, the moment it's, I don't, the moment he is expected, he's no longer effective. Like, when he comes off the bench and comes in and is just Mr. Spark plug, gets a couple drives, and you're like, all right, guys, campaign is out here now. He then became ineffective. Is it just is it a volume thing where we're like we can't afford to let him try to create that much for himself because all of his buckets are self created, like he's not the beneficiary of someone creating a bunch of space and kicking it out to campaign. Like he's out there getting it. Are did are the sons just
2: asking him to do more than he is c- qualified to do, Philip? His bag's not very deep when it when it comes to just the way that he scores. You've already mentioned it. It's the kind of looping drive to his left hand and then an unnecessarily hesitant step back and then accelerate drive to the right that ends with a left-handed floater, which also isn't great. He's so left-hand dominant. He has funky shooting mechanics. Like He is who he is. So what you would have to be looking for to think he can take a jump in terms of his efficiency is either the Suns put a team on the floor that creates additional space for him to operate near the rim or he has to become either more selective in the amount of shots he's taking or just add new kinds of shots to his to his game. But asking a guy who's been around as much as campaign to add additional shots seems unlikely at this particular point.
0: He also, in terms of his three point shooting, which really kind of was like the surprise thing we saw in the bubble to start with uh, the final season, he shot 48%. Oh, sorry. 44% from three shooting 2.8 attempts per game last season that dropped to 33% on only on less than one extra attempt. So it wasn't like his volume increased significantly from three and he just started missing more. He just wasn't hitting and Philip touched on it. His shot is funky but you know what he doesn't lack confidence, confidence. That boy thinks (laughs) it's going in. And I think that's good when you're good. I think there is a, a magical talent line of if you're above this, that confidence will help you out. If you're below this, it could quickly become a detriment. And I'm thinking of multiple games or just series within a game we we're like Cam just got stuffed at the rim three times in a minute and a half.
2: Someone needs to call a timeout and pump the brakes, real quick on campaign. And this can transition us to Landry as well. The percentage of his three pointers that were assisted. Okay, so get that get that around the, however many total threes he had in. 2021, so the tighter run season, 68.5% of them were assisted. Last year, it was 63%, which means primarily when he's shooting threes, he is making more off of catch and shoot than he is off the dribble. That could mean that one of the best things for Cam is that he's not the only initiator on the floor at any given point, which then leads us into the guy who is flanking him during our great preseason game that we got to watch the other day, which is can Landry Shamit be someone who helps the second unit with facilitating and with playmaking? So I think we should just throw out the same question: What's the best case scenario for Landry Shamit this year?
3: I,
0: I personally would like him to no longer be the guy that we just need to hit threes. I would like him to be more of a mix of what campaign is providing and what we expect of him. I think him, the team having the confidence for him to initiate more and run the offense more will be beneficial for everyone, including himself because it takes pressure off him to be like, I only get these threes every game. I better hit my first, right? Like, if he can provide value in other ways, I think that'll open up a bunch. So for me, the ball in his hand more with people around him that can help, a.k.a. not be the the guard of the bench unit. Like, I think the Suns are going to have to be very smart with their rotations, and that's going to be on money. Our rotations need to be sound or we will get exploited quickly. Landry came in a lot last season as we're bringing in a three point shooter. And that was his role. I don't think that suits him. Uh, JJ Reddick talked about it on a pod a while back of like, that was not who he was when they played together. That's definitely not how he operated in college, which we've talked a bunch about. Like, I think he can handle it. He's a little more hesitant than campaign. That's probably a, a overstatement. He's far more hesitant than campaign, which I think means a little more conservative, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. So I don't know what number I would want to see really change except for assists. I would like Landry Shammett to have a good assist to turnover ratio. And if he has that, I'm okay. He doesn't have to shoot 45% from three. I want him to facilitate for others. Help other people be better. Because defensively, I think we all talked about this a bunch during the playoff run. He's not bad. If Mm -hmm. anything, I think he's above average. Uh, We've got a comment saying Lander needs to attack the rim more. I think that's right, too. He has shown... The kid's
1: got bunnies. We've seen him just yam them.
0: Like I said, I think if you take the hesitancy that he seems to be programmed to have now because it's, oh, my job is to shoot shoot a three in the corner. If, if you can take some campaign, whatever attitude, swagger, excessive confidence and give Landry some of that, I think that fixes a big problem. Maybe that's oversimplifying it, but I, he needs to be able to play without thinking he has a short leash. Mm -hmm. I think psychologically that, that can be draining, um, to think I've got to come, I, I can't speak to the basketball world. I didn't play at any high enough level to know that. I can tell you from the soccer world there are, are forwards that get brought into the game in the 80 85th minute and your job is go get a goal we need it. And my goodness, those guys will force so much because they're being programmed to say, this is my objective. if I don't do it, I am failing myself, my team. I get all this crap because that's how I'm judged. I think that's what's going on with Landry. I think he needs a mindset shift, and I think part of that could be presenting him with a new role and making that very clear.
1: I just struggle to, to kind of put a frame of reference on what his ceiling looks like. I know of the three of us, I've been the harshest critic of him. I was coming around towards the end of last season, especially – with the defense, we saw him play. But even if you look at his his stat line in this Adelaide game, he he played 22 minutes, only went two of eight from the field and one of four from three. Not great. Shot 25. I see Ethan. I see you. One say something. I just I, I'm I, I don't know how to position what his max capability is on a consistent basis because we really haven't seen much consistency from a start to finish season of
0: what that looks like. If you're looking at the five guys that were on the court himself included, he offensively sure. was probably number 1 or 2 in terms of talent. His the way he operates that's never going to work out well for him. Like he needs to be option 4 or 5 even if he is the one initiating the offense. Like that there guys like him are not going to to blow you away. Honestly, campaign is the type of guy that would blow you away in a game like that, right? Where it's, there's no separation, there's no shot creation from other people, there's no gravity. Just, can you go get a bucket and campaign is gonna like Randall from Monsters, Inc. and like slither through everyone and get his little scoop de doop Like, that makes sense. Like him scoring, that makes sense. But Philip, what are your thoughts? I know I've, it, it it just frustrates me the amount of crap that gets thrown at him when I feel like he's not had a fair shake. If he gets a fair shake and crumbles, I'll be right there with you. But up
2: until this point, I just don't feel like we've seen it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about Landry. Uh, one, of my, one of my talking points that I might bring up too often is that I think Mikhail has been offensively limited in the past because of his mechanics. The more I watch Landry, I just think he has a flat shot. And it's I a, think, isn't it a push on the way up almost? Kind of, and of, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So just the way it comes out of his hands, it's one of those shots where you watch it in the air and you're like, ooh, I don't think so. It's kind of like a Jay Crowder shot. It hits there the back go. of yeah. the rim. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In, Cause yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if there's something there where he's just going to be a limited offensive player. Sometimes the three might be, might be on, but a lot of times you're not looking for a super consistent, shot but he can come in and play good defense and when it comes to the one slash one and a half two guard position whatever it is that he's going to play if he can play good to very good defense i think that's going to be the primary concern this year because again hopefully hopefully he is never on the court as the primary or main scoring threat initiator what have you for for this year so can we uh Can we kind of recap what we have for the guards right now? I got him. I got him on my noggin, unless we have more hot takes on Landry Shaman. Well, I just want to make sure that people don't think
0: my my want for him to succeed is making me overlook everything. He shot the ball horribly last year. Horribly. He shot 36% from three, 39 from the field. Like, I don't want you thinking that I somehow saw something that no one else did. I'm just hopeful that changes around him yeah, will allow him to do more and be better, partly because
2: we need it to
0: happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but, but no. I think your point about letting giving him a bigger leash and like very clearly communicating like, I'm not going to yank you if you miss two or three shots in a row, like you're just going to play for your rotation, like land, go and you have seven minutes, you have the three minutes left at the end of this quarter and the four minutes to start the next before whoever is going to come in for you. I think that can unleash him. Quite a bit. So with Landry, we're saying give him a longer leash, just let him play, as simple as that sounds. Speaking of simple, for campaign, we're saying make shots, please. (laughs) For CP3 counterintuitively, we're saying sit down more, please. And then for Devin Booker, maybe the biggest ask that we that we have is be one of the best players in the entire league because it's what the Suns as currently constructed. Desperately need from him.
1: Well, and if there's a season to do it, you're on the cover of 2K, your team's <laughs> about to sell for to become literally the most valuable team in the NBA. If we're talking for uh, selling price,
3: like if there was yes. a season for you to become like the guy, now seems like a pretty good time.
0: We shall see, gentlemen. Um, in terms of in terms of your confidence in the current Sun's guards. Scale of 1 to 10. Ryan, I'll kick it to you. Where are you at in terms of confidence with the Suns guards?
1: What, what, are, what do you mean? Like, describe where, just in general? How are you feeling? Like, if I told you, like, hey, how
0: do you feel about the guards this season? How are you feeling about the, the guards?
3: Seven and a half out of 10.
0: Philip, what about you?
2: Six. Because outside of Devin Booker, I have big, big questions. I had a six. And, and it's because if you take
0: away and this is where it gets scary. If you take away the most talented of that group of four, <laughs> bad things happen. If you take away the least talented of that group of four, bad things happen. Like if Landry is out and I know people are going to disagree. If Landry is out, the Suns are in trouble. If campaign is out, the Suns are in trouble. It is it's going to be interesting. I think it can be done, but it's going to take some great game planning. Very, very interesting rotations with hopefully minutes restrictions. And again, as we continue to preach for less Chris Paul minutes, that means one of those other guys will be getting more minutes. Potentially, we shall see how it goes. I am going to end with one question uh, before we bring it to a close. Do you think Jay Crowder will be traded before the season starts? And if so, do you think we're going to get a third guard? Do you think Jay has the trade value to bring in a guard? I'll word it this way. A guard that's better than Cam and Landry. Oh, that's better than those two? Yes. Yeah. Bring in someone who would become the third guard. Yeah, I think
1: so. Yeah, I think he carries that weight. I'm not entirely sure he'll be traded by the time the season starts up. That's, what, 14
3: days?
2: Yeah, as far as the question about the beginning of the season, to quote a great philosopher in an interview with The Breakfast Club, I hope so. (laughs)
0: man i hope people stuck around long enough for that one uh we'll see i think i think the quicker we can trade him the better but i think the longer we can hold out the more value we can get maybe i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen with him is he gonna sit on the bench is he gonna watch from the stands what? What? No. What's he just hanging? Is he hanging back we'll at, at what, Georgia Tech? He's in Atlanta. Is he just gonna be filming vlogs from Georgia Tech,
2: recapping he, the grind? Yeah, and showing that he has a two dribble move now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him! Well,
0: uh, boys, it was good getting to talk some sons basketball. It was nice to not dwell uh, on the Australian massacre for uh, any longer than we needed to. For those listening, a couple things. We will be coming at you again next week, covering um, a topic that I know I have written down somewhere and the bigs and wings. That part I know for sure. And for the five people currently watching on YouTube, if you haven't subscribed, feel free to do so. Do the like thing. I don't know how any of that works, but here's here's my, my big ask. I always feel like I have to say, really emphasize the K on big ask because it can sound bad. If you are a regular podcast listener, you've been riding with us for a while. I know there are plenty of you, unless my mom listens to this hundreds she of times. It. I know, to fact, say, she doesn't. I know my worry. mom doesn't listen. I know my wife doesn't listen. So someone out there is listening and we appreciate you. If you would go to our Twitter, I'm throwing it up on the, on the screen here for those watching at the village, PHX, you don't have to, you don't have to reply with love and admiration. A simple retweet would do. We are about to kick off a new season. If there was ever a time to bring more folks in to continue to grow this thing, uh, take it the next level. It is now. I went ahead and waited till the end of the episode to do the hard sales pitch. Next episode, if you're not careful, I might open with it. You're going to have to listen to it at the beginning. You're going to have to hit the skip 15 seconds button, and no one wants to do that. Uh, Philip saved the day. He said the the topic for next week is the Eastern Conference predictions, which I think should be pretty fun because that means we get to talk about Kyrie Irving, and that is a party within itself. Gentlemen, anything else before we bring it to a close?
1: Ben Simmons, most improved player, 22-23 season.
0: Well... Thank you for that, Ryan. Philip,
2: go, son. Go, son, baby. Go now sun. we're back.
0: For Ryan and Philip, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley of Feeding This podcast.
2: We out.